Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can take that one and turn to page 178 in the back part, and you would be at James 3. Now, we have been saying there are a lot of common trip hazards in everyday life, and there are common trip hazards in the spiritual life also. And we have, for the last few weeks, been focusing on two of the most common trip hazards in the spiritual life. In this series, we have entitled, Dealing with the Double T's. And one trip hazard is temptation. We looked at that. And now we're looking at the trip hazard of the tongue. And last week, we began looking at the tongue by saying that we were going to elementary school on the tongue. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think about elementary school, we have this inner reaction, like, oh, if we're going to do elementary school, I know all of that stuff. Oh, really? You remember the TV show that's out there called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Let's just see how much we know about elementary school. Here's a question for you. What is the approximate diameter of the earth in miles? Think about it for a moment. Do you know the answer to that? Fifth graders do. Let me give you three possible choices, 5,200, 7,900, 14,000. Do you know which one it is? It's 7,900, exactly 7,926 miles. All right, some of you got that. Here's a second question about how much water on the earth is fresh water. Think about that. Now, we got a lot of salt water. How much is fresh water? Three possible answers, 3%, 10%. 15 percent. Do you have an answer in mind? The answer is 3 percent, actually 2.75, and interestingly enough, 75 percent of the fresh water is frozen right now. So when we talk about going to elementary school, we do need to be reminded of some things that we knew when we were younger. And as we went to elementary school on the tongue, we first looked at its size, And we said it's small, it's a small thing, our tongue, but it's very significant. And then secondly, as we went to elementary school on the effects of the tongue, we said the effects are far-reaching and highly potent. And you remember, we came up with a theme verse last time from Proverbs 18.21 that says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, today we're going to go to secondary school on the tongue, and we're going to learn four lessons about it. If you have your Bibles open, look at James chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then drop down to verse 8, invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I'm reading. James writes, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Then down at verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. 
My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. So let's go to secondary school on the tongue, and we're going to look at four lessons. And here's the very first lesson we have, and that is a caution to leaders. A caution to leaders, and we see that there in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Doesn't that strike you a little bit odd? I mean, wouldn't you think when you see a statement like that that it would perhaps scare away people from wanting to be a teacher, a leader in that way in the church? But throughout its history, the church has always needed spirit-filled teachers. What's involved here? Well, what he's saying is that those who are teachers and leaders in that way who use their tongue more will undergo a stricter judgment by God. They have greater influence. They have greater authority. Therefore, there is greater accountability. Uh, keep your finger here, but just turn a few pages to the left, to Hebrews chapter 13, which is the last chapter, and verse 17. And notice what the writer of the Hebrews says to us in the church, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls. But then I want you to notice the rest of this phrase, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. See, when we are leaders and we're using our tongue more, we need to realize there's greater accountability for that. We'll be giving an account for that. And you know, when you look at the position of someone who stands before people and teaches and speaks, some personality types are more prone to be attracted to that particular role. But we need to remember that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we need to be very careful about becoming enamored with that position of someone who talks, you know, and everybody listens. We need to be careful about becoming enamored with the position and the potential prestige and maybe the popularity and everyone's looking at me. Very, very important that we realize that as we use our tongue, particularly in a leadership role and teaching, that there's greater accountability for that. Now, I want to I share with you what I believe are two indispensable attributes for someone who teaches or someone who is a leader. The first one is humility. You've got to have this if you're going to function in the role. In Romans 12, 3, it says that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And it's all in a section that's talking about how God gives gifts and God gives abilities. And if you have the ability to use your tongue to teach and instruct why should you pat yourself on the back? God gave you that ability. Not only that, but God gives us the opportunities. He's the one who opens up the door. And so the first indispensable attribute for someone who is a teacher and a leader is humility. And here's the second one that I believe is indispensable, and that is teachability. Teachability. 
In other words, if you're teaching truth, it is so critical that you have a teachable, soft, reachable heart yourself. We need to let the truth transform our own heart first. If you've never, never taught and never taught biblical truth to people, maybe you haven't discovered this, but if you have, you know what I'm talking about. The easiest thing in the world is to focus on other people rather than yourself. I just want you to know transparently that's my number one battle. See, if I spend all my time thinking about what truth means to you and what you need to do in light of truth, guess what happens? I'm not learning. I'm not changing. I'm not being transformed. And I really believe this, if you are a teacher and a communicator and a leader, that your effectiveness is going to be directly tied to the consistency and authenticity of your own lifestyle. We've all been around situations where someone was teaching and talking, and yet we found out that they weren't being authentic people. And if we're not having consistency and authenticity in our own lifestyle, then our words are just hollow words. They really don't mean anything. So the first lesson of secondary school on the tongue is a caution to leaders. And by the way, I am very thankful for every one of you on every age level who invest your lives through teaching other people. I commend you for doing that. Now, the second lesson is this, that speech is a primary spiritual indicator. Look at James chapter 3 and verse 2. Notice those first few words, for we all stumble. Doesn't that just make you feel a little bit better? I mean, really, that, that just encourages me. He's saying, we all trip up. I mean, James is saying, I trip up. You know, I make mistakes with my mouth is really what he's saying. We see that in the Bible. We see that Moses did that. You know, after all the dream of God using him to lead the people into the promised land. If you go back and you look at the story, he speaks very rashly, and God says, you're not going in. See, we all stumble. We all trip up. Need I point out our, our, fa- our favorite disciple, Peter, and the times that he tripped up with what came out of his mouth. I mean, all of us know what it's like. Don't we all? We all know what it's like to insert our foot as the idiom says, into our mouth. But notice what he goes on to say here in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. You see how the tongue is a leading spiritual indicator. It is is a way that we display true spiritual maturity. It is a leading indicator of what our life is like. What he's really saying is this. You know, when you go to the doctor and they take that little suppressor and they say, open your mouth and, you know, stick out your tongue and say, ah, they look at your tongue because your tongue is giving them some insight into your physical health. Well, what James is saying here is so the tongue gives us some insight into our spiritual health. By observing somebody's speech, you have a window into their spiritual heart. See, here's the idea. We can claim to be spiritual. 
I mean, we can cite the number of years that I have been a follower of Jesus. Don't you understand? I've been doing this for 35 years. We can cite the number of years that I've been in the church. I've been in the church far more years than you've been in the church, so whatever it may be. We can cite all the things that we have done. We can cite all the missionary trips that we have been on. We can have prolific Bible knowledge. We can maybe argue theology with the best of them. And yet, what James is saying is that when our words and our speech don't match, in essence, we're self-deceived. Now, how, let me ask you this question. How do you measure up to the tongue test of spirituality today? You remember death words kill the spirit, and life words refresh the spirit. If you were going to take a snapshot of your speech recently, would it reveal a lethal weapon or an instrument of healing? Recently, has your speech been riddled with criticism and complaining and gossiping and running people down? Or has your speech recently been liberally sprinkled with grace and encouragement and affirmation? See, what James is saying to you and to me is this, that the tongue has the potential to be our greatest asset or our our greatest liability. If I were going to illustrate to you what death words would be, one great illustration of it is the flamboyant and outspoken uh, former mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown. He was the 41st mayor of San Francisco. And at one particular time, the San Francisco 49ers football team lost a game that they could have and should have won. Now, what happened during the game is the 49ers starting quarterback suffered a concussion, and that brought in backup quarterback Elvis Gerback, who then threw two interceptions. And the mayor of San Francisco that day said this about Elvis Gerbeck. He said, that was a bonehead intellectual breakdown if I've ever seen one. Elvis Gerbeck is an embarrassment to mankind. And we're talking about building a new football stadium here in San Francisco. And I want you to know something. If I'm involved in helping build that, that guy is never going to play quarterback on our team. Later on, when Gerbach was questioned about all of this, he admitted that I I, I played in that game very distracted. See, my nine-month-old son, Jack, who has spina bifida, uh, was undergoing a very pivotal surgery that happened just before the game. Now, Willie Brown later apologized, but you know what it's like with words. The slam was already out there. Death words. You know, I I remember one time when we went to the movies with our family. You know, we had these four kids. Uh, Our budget was very, very, very tight. And uh, uh, Kyle was about eight years old at the time. And when we went to the movies, Kyle said, you know, I want to sit by dad in the movies. 
And uh, one of the things we did is we had to buy, you know, several drinks. We were going to share them. So we had two different drinks, two different types. Um, you know, I'm talking about those large drinks at the movie theaters that cost like $23 a piece. You know what I'm talking about? And so um, Kyle and I both like Sprite. So we had the $23 Sprite sitting right there, you know. And then Kyle reaches over to pick up the Sprite and he dumps the whole thing out on the floor. And what comes out of my mouth is something along this line. Look at my wife. Did you see that? Did you see what that kid did? He doesn't even deserve to have a drink. Well, you can imagine what happened. He would hardly look at me. And then he asked if he could change seats with one of my daughters so he could sit next to his mom. Death words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If I could illustrate what life words would be like, it could be found in the story of the British Prime Minister, William Gladstone. And he was preparing this very pivotal speech. And uh, he had asked a treasury employee to compile all the statistics that he needed for this speech. And what happened is that the employee made a very serious miscalculation. And so Gladstone is standing before the nation doing this speech, and it has all these very, very poor numbers in it. And boy, did he catch the ridicule. The parliament tore him apart. Well, the next day back at work, Gladstone sent for the man, and he, he entered into Gladstone's office expecting, of course, to be fired. And here's what happened. Gladstone greeted him warmly. He said, I know how much you must be disturbed by what has happened, and I sent for you to put you at your ease. For a long time, you've been engaged in handling the intricacies of the national accounts, and this is the first mistake that you've made as far as I know, and I want to congratulate you and express to you my keen appreciation. And then he shook the hand of the dumbfounded guy and now, of course, relieved employee. You can imagine he probably felt like he had been pardoned from a certain death. Life words. I think back to that situation with my son, Kyle. What would have been some life words I, I could have given to him? Oh, I know it costs a lot of money to buy one of those drinks. But if I just turned to him and said, you know what? You're more important to me than a supersized Sprite. And I just enjoy being at the movies with you. You see, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The first lesson we're learning today in our secondary school about the tongue is a caution to leaders. The second is that speech is a primary spiritual indicator. The third one is that duplicity does not fit us. Look at James chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. It says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And they have the analogy of a fountain. Does 
It spout both fresh and bitter water, and can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs? Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Isn't it interesting how we can do this, how we can be so gracious to strangers and gracious to neighbors and gracious to customers, and then we can be harsh in attacking with our spouse, with our children, with our brother or our sister? Isn't it interesting how we can have our speech be one way at church, in a church environment, and another way at home where we can become critical and caustic, where we're one way at church, but at school we're spouting filthy language and telling dirty jokes, or speech can be one way at church where at work we find ourselves just slamming people. Notice again what he says there in verse 10 in the second part. He says, my brethren, he's basically saying, brothers and sisters, it ought not to be this way. He's saying it's out of whack. It's not right. It can't go on happening. And then again, think of these analogies that he gives in verses 11 and 12. The point is that In those situations, you expect those things to produce in harmony with what they are. That's why a fountain should send out fresh water, not bitter water. And why a fig tree will produce figs and not olives. You expect those things to produce in harmony with what they are. And here's the whole point he's making. We are the children of God. We are to be like him. We're to produce speech that is consistent with who we are. In other words, words of life, not death. Speech that encourages, not discourages. Words that build up rather than tear down. As we're going to secondary school in the tongue today, we're, we're learning four lessons. The first is a caution to leaders. The second is that speech is a primary spiritual indicator. Oh, we may know a lot, but what's coming out of our mouth? The third thing is that duplicity doesn't fit us. The fourth lesson we're going to learn is the key to controlling the tongue. Go back to verse 7. It says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. If you've ever been to SeaWorld, you're going to see Shamu, the killer whale. And of course, there's a whole lot of Shamu, killer killer whales at all these various places. But what do you see? You see the killer whale who's been tamed and going through all of its paces. I remember one time we went to Ringling Brothers Circus. And they had trained a hippo. And I understand hippos can be very dangerous in the wild. And this hippo was, of course, running around in the ring and then allowing all these monkeys to somersault their way onto the hippo and to ride the hippo around. And then at the very end of it all, they had the hippo, you know, turn to the audience and right on cue give a big grin to the audience. You see, every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea has been tamed and is being tamed by the human race, but, here comes the big but, no one can tame the tongue. 
There are none among men. Literally, it's saying no man can tame the tongue, can subdue the tongue, can bring the tongue under total control. And the idea here is this, no man can. But God can. But God can. Remember what the Lord Jesus said one time? He said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, if you look at verse 8, you would think, well, man, that's depressive. There's nothing we can do. But obviously, there has to be some way of victory over our speech, or else the whole section's just nonsensical. Otherwise, you just would have said, eh, don't worry about what you say because you can't do anything about it anyway. The hint in all of this is in the illustrations that we've seen from last week. In verse 3, he talks about a bit in a horse that's very small and that Bit allows the rider to control and direct the horse. We saw the analogy in verse 4 of a rudder, which is a very small thing, but it allows the helmsman to control and direct even the largest ocean liner out on the sea. So the question is, who is our rider? Who is our helmsman who is going to help to control the little thing in our mouth? And the answer to that is the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we see the emphasis over and over again in the New Testament. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea is to allow the Holy Spirit to control us and even to control our speech. The Bible talks about how we are to walk by the Spirit, step by step in dependence on the Holy Spirit. As we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, as we're dependent on it, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Our tongue can be controlled. And so the key to controlling the tongue is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be very frank with you. You have no hope of consistently controlling your tongue apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's just not going to happen. You you have no hope of developing your true spiritual maturity in your life apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just somebody who cranks it up. We need divine intervention in our life. Let me ask you another question, and I want you to just think about this. You don't answer it out loud, but how much is your need for dependence on the Holy Spirit part of your daily preparation? I mean, we all have daily preparation. You know, you get up. I don't know the order you do things. You, you take a shower. You brush your teeth. You get dressed. Some of us eat breakfast. Some of us don't. But you have daily preparation that you do. How much is your need for dependence on the Holy Spirit part of your daily preparation? It's a great question to ask. See, a lot of times I, I think we, why we think it mentally that we really need the Holy Spirit, practically we're not really living there. You know, the Lord Jesus, when it came to the Holy Spirit, gave the Holy Spirit a name. And the name that he gave to the Holy Spirit was the Helper. And you give a helper to somebody 
who needs help. You see, he sent the Holy Spirit to reside in us after we've trusted in Christ because we need supernatural help. No man can tame the tongue. But God can do that. As we're looking at the double T of the tongue and the trip hazard that it brings, we said last week we were going to spend the first week in elementary school on the tongue. The second week we're going to spend in secondary school. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to go to graduate school on the tongue. But as we close today, I want to share with you some life response that I think we all can have to what we've looked at today as we've gone through secondary school on the tongue. And that life response has two elements to it, to commit daily and to revel regularly. So these are the key applicational points, okay? This is what you want to write down. This is what you want to begin to apply this next week. What do I mean by commit daily? Well, I mean this, commit daily your tongue to God. Commit daily your tongue to God. You know, David in Psalm 141, verse 3, pray this to God. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Men and women, that's what we need to do on a daily basis. We need to go to God and pray that. Set a guard over my mouth because I have this tendency, you know, for this stuff to come flying out that I don't want out. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So commit daily your tongue to God. Second life response Revel regularly in who God is and His great promises. Now, what do I mean by that, and how does that help? Well, here's what I want you to understand. If you are reveling regularly in who God is, you're thanking Him for who He is and all of His attributes, and and you're thanking Him for His great promises to you, and there's just thousands of them, and you're reveling in that, if you do that, it's nearly impossible to just immediately turn around and start complaining about life. If you revel regularly in who God is and his great promises, it's just nearly impossible to find yourself immediately criticizing people or grumbling at the circumstances or griping at other people or griping about life. See, so much of life is about perspective. Regularly revel in who he is and his great promises to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the living book, the Bible. We thank you that for all the warnings that you give us about trip hazards, and the tongue can be an incredible one. And we know, Father, that we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And maybe we have some apologies that we need to make to some people or things that we've said. But more than anything, Father, we want you through the person of the Spirit to lead us to life words rather than death words so that we might refresh 
the people around us, and they might catch the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.